นะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอรหะโตสัมมาสัมบุตัสสะนะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอรหะโตสัมมาสัมบุตัสสะนะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอรหะโตสัมมาสัมบุตัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังฆังนิสามิสุดท้ายสิจูวันเวลาที่ anniversary of the passing away of the poor child and this is still commemorated in Thailand in Wat Pha Phong we call it Acharya Puja Acharya means teacher puja celebration honoring salutation rising up to to recollect and Recall and bring to mind and dwell upon the uh, qualities and the effect of a teacher, particularly, of course, Ajahn Chah. Not just the. So it's important to bear in mind this is not really about an Ajahn Chah cult, that can seem like it. It's, uh, Recognizing this, whoever this person was, taught a lot, and uh, but also brought forth a lot from people. His presence, and what he did, and what he was, and what he wasn't, acted on people, on a large range of people. It touched something in them. It drew things out of them. And it quelled things in them. It brought forth strengths they didn't know they had. And it uh, restrained and corrected tendencies they thought they were stuck with. Uh, and this wasn't just through uh, information, not do this, do that, but actually just through presence and by engaging, uh, which. Uh, Bhojar did to an enormous degree. He was always engaging. Well, that's what people said. That's what I noticed. I didn't. I wasn't with him for long. Yeah. But if Bhojar was around and you were around, you knew he he was going to get you <laughs> somehow. He'd check you out and start finding some way to kind of get in there, poke, tease, tickle, prod, and, and there was nobody was safe. <laughs> it wasn't as, it wasn't vicious. It was generally that started with a little tease or a smile, maybe just uh, ignore you for a while and then kind of bring you in a bit. And then kind of, oh, this, what do you think about that? And then you think about that. <laughs> you know? So it's very engaging. Uh, and so this, this quality of engagement, you know, would actually get right to where people were at, and often in different number of ways, depending where they were at. Actually, and that 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 was the sort of uh, rather marvelous quality. Was so he was so dexterous and uh, reading or sensing, or his jitta was. And then he'd, 
where a person was out, you can find some way of just causing to look at it, or challenge it, or bring it out, or encourage it. You know, and so it's a, actually worked on people. You know, and as as individuals, and also as a group. So you know, everyone who who was with him got something personal directed right at them. <laughs> you know. Uh, of various kinds, various qualities, and something they remembered, maybe something checked. You know. This is a powerful teacher. Be a number of things. I imagine Yanadama mentioning one of his stories was when he was at what well, Pong, was, you know, they always had to hand out the food. So, what would happen is you'd have to leave your bowl, and two monks would just get up, you see. So, if you're one of the monks who's allocated, you had to get up, and go along the line of monks, and just throw food in the bowl. So, people, monks would sit there, and a bunch of food gets slopped in the bowl. And, that's what you got, you know. So if you if you left your bowl, then you just got there's people tip whatever <laughs> get tipped into your bowl. If you if you were having if you're sitting with your bowl, you can put your hand up saying no, that's, don't want that kind of thing. You, know, you could pass on something. But if you had if you were serving, you got whatever got thrown in your bowl, so it could be a complete tip. And so this was. He'd do that, and he found out one monk wasn't cooperating, so he was getting more and more annoyed with this monk for not behaving properly, getting really angry. And, and he could see him with irritation at this person not being cooperative, and then coming back from the arms round, muttering to himself, and he met Ajahn Chah getting a big smile. What are you doing? And he felt his heart lift. Oh, you can come round my kuti. <laughs> so he came round through the kuti in the evening and massaging Ajahn Chah's feet, which was considered a great, a great honour. He was feeling very happy, and delighted, and then suddenly his foot lifted and kicked him and knocked him over. What's happening? He says, see? See, when somebody, annoyed, when somebody disappoints you, you get annoyed. And you have a good time, you get happy. Don't get caught up in what people do. <laughs> Wake up. <you go? laughs> don't, get, don't get infected with what people do. Of course, in words, it hasn't quite got the impact. But in some sense, it's like a presence that really just grabs and holds and direct. Um, so you could do so it was that, that kind of teaching very direct there was a story a monk I met he, was, he said he'd been full of all kinds of doubts about what to do and what he's practicing how much we do meditation and was it really going to work for westerners and perhaps you know in western conditioning he should do something else because his Thai sister was kind of very much for Thais and insight and maybe burn will be better. So he went over to see he was staying at Wat Banana Chart, he went over to see 
Ajahn Chah with his head full of his questions, what to do, what to do. He went to Ajahn Chah's kuti, Ajahn Chah was sweeping around the kuti. Ajahn Chah looks at him, throws him a broad, said, sweeping is better than talking. Sweeping around. Yeah, he did that for a few hours, the sun's going down, oh, better get walked back to the what banana charts of you know, two hour walk or something. So so he gets to leave, so he puts the broom down, he goes around to pay respects to Ajahn Chah as he kneels down to Chah, grabs him by the shoulders, look, whatever you're doing, just do that. And don't keep thinking about it. <laughs> Doubting it. direct, you know, whatever you're in, just do that. Stop wondering whether you should be, could be, whether it's right. Just do it. Do that. So it's a very direct approach. And this is, you know, uh, so of course I didn't, I didn't start my monastic life with, with Ajahn Chah. You know, I've been to India looking for some sort of teacher, but I couldn't really get into teachers. They seemed so, you know, uh, in, you know like the gurus seem so much into themselves and you have to be devoted to some guru. I can't do that. So I found that somebody in Thailand, an English monk who was teaching meditation. Oh, okay. So this is very much like learn a particular thing. So information, how to do it, here's how to do it, this is what you do, do it. Teacher, okay. And he found a place like his monastery where, he could, where I could do it. So I did it, and he was a teacher. So a te- meditation was like learning French or something like that. You go and give, a, give your class, you do your practice, and then he comes back, how are you doing? Okay, fine, right, good, with more of this so forth. So that, that to me was what a teacher was. Uh, until I imagine Samido, who uh, happened by chance, and uh, the only person wasn't giving any information. He wasn't holding anything back, he just was not interested in information. <laughs> he didn't do information. <laughs> he did presence. So, uh, so I, I, it was rather coincidental how it happened to meet him. Just by circumstances turned out that way, and they brought me into his presence. And it was just this sense of presence. And it was quite calm and open. And the presence is like just this big open door that you can walk into. There's no the space you could walk into it was convivial st- calm steady confident open and you just walked into this space and there was plenty of room in it there's a lot of space in it this is different no information no particular how to do it uh, this and you know how you asking how I was doing you know interested in my welfare and, and, uh, and in the sense of oh this is different so circumstances eventually I felt he was going to England gave me that 
So when I had to go to England because my father passed away, then I thought I'd go and check him out because uh, I was pretty much at my wit's end trying to handle all this stuff because uh, uh, I had no support and trying to handle my father's affairs and my mother's bereavement. So I went down to see him and then he was knocked on the door and he opened the door and it's the same like he opened the door it's like he opened himself and you could walk in oh, yeah. welcome come in for that same quality it's only a small house but he had a huge uh, open comfortable presence that it was not uh, frightening or threatening or intimidating just open and warm and he going there and he thought, oh, this is rather pleasant. And he had a couple of other monks with him, Anando and Virudama. Anando was an American, uh, and he'd been a bit of a street kid. <laughs> and then he'd been a sergeant, marine sergeant in Vietnam. Got a bit of his head blown off with a bullet. And he got then shot in the back when they were lifting him out. So he'd been through the, literally through the wars, then he'd been a bit, uh, after he got, you know, uh, left the army, he was kind of just living playboy life on his, on his pension. Then he met Jim Samedo and he became a monk. So, streetwise kid, really, and pretty snappy and, uh, you know, and good at orders. He was a sergeant. Uh, and Viridama a Canadian who was kind of a counterfoil to Ananda because he'd, he'd always be able to kind of give a slightly ironic you know, remark that would tend to get Ananda to calm down <laughs> he was getting a little bit too much you know, <laughs> he'd undercut him so they, these two guys were playing each other off and they weren't particularly happy stuck in this house in Hampstead and then we found out that Ajahn Chah was coming over. And so I thought, wow, well, this I've met Ajahn Samedo, and this is Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Samedo's teacher. Well, Ajahn Samedo is pretty impressive. What's his teacher going to be like? I don't know, you know. And uh, But what one heard was very strict and very tight, very strict on, on Vinaya. And when I'd been a monk, I hadn't had any Vinaya training. They just taught meditation. He said, Meditate, just do what everybody else is doing. <laughs> was the basic system. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get into too much mischief, but I hadn't really. I got lots and lots of offences because there was no no training. So I felt pretty not up to scratch, you know. And then this strict Vinaya masters had come over and would give me a complete grilling, you know, a roasting for my. Uh, Offences, so I don't know what this is going to be like. But then we had to go to the airport to meet uh, Ajahn Chah, and then he came and he had this another huge Westerner behind him, Babakro, this big guy who'd been a captain in, in Vietnam, helicopter captain, so he'd been in the wars too, this big, huge guy. There's this little fellow in front of him, walking stick. But the little fellow in front felt bigger than the big guy behind him. 
It was extraordinary. Because you know, visually you could see he was definitely quite a small person. But it was a sense of complete ease and confidence, like he was on top of the world. On top of it all. He's kind of rolling out on top of it all. And uh, that completely in his element, even though it was a Heathrow airport, he didn't speak English. Yeah, and it looked completely at home. In fact, it looked more at home in Britain than most British people do. <laughs> he looked like he totally belonged here, he was completely comfortable with it. And that was pretty impressive. And then as soon as he came in, the, all the other the monks who came, they all hit the floor. You know, and that some of these captains and sergeants were all just like ten-year-old boys, and, you know, and not not fearful, just incredibly tender, like their, like their long-lost father had come home to see them. They were just so grateful, and it was so. You know, what's happening here? You know, this is not some strict discipline. This is someone they obviously love, like a beloved. Father has come, come home to give them presents or something, and they're just kind of all soft and and, and uh, you know, certain. Okay, so follow this, and he came and stayed with us in the Hampstead Vihara, and then he went to for about a month. He went to America, and then he came back and spent another few weeks in Britain. With us. So that was it. But during that time, he'd, he'd be in the Vihara, Hampstead Vihara, and there'd just be people coming. And he would just, he'd have a translator, either, either the Ajahn Sumedho or this other big monk, Babakaro, would be doing the translating because he'd wear them out, because he'd just go on six hours straight. And eventually one translator would just conk out <laughs> to get the other one in. <laughs> He'd start at six and go until two, easy. Six and even go until two, just riffing off people and rapping with people and teasing people and winding people up, including the translators. You have a go at them, you know, make fun of their translations or and whether they're translating it right or not. Because after a while, they'd, he, he could probably tell they were getting tired, so they'd, he'd give, he'd talk for five minutes and they'd give a ten-second translation. No, do it right, good. <laughs> So he wouldn't let them get off, and so that they would wear out and uh, have to, you know. And it's just this tremendous energy giving out. And it was like, and you could sit and, uh, and watch it. For some people, it's like he was kind of, you know, reaching out and messing their hair, you know, just teasing them up a little bit. And some people, he was just poking gently in the ribs. Some people would give a quick slap on the wrist. Or, or not physically, that, that, that was what his energy was doing, you could feel it. And most of the time, a lot of the time, it was just this kind of... You know, the, the quality of his voice, as you know, ties a tonal language, there's a lot of cadence in it, up and down. But his was like, he, he could warble like a nightingale. His voice would go up and trill, and it would sink down like a water buffalo. And just this amazing range of sounds and grunts and tweets he'd come out with, guttural sounds, and, and, and it was just listening to this melody uh, with smiles and humour and pointing finger and this, this 
evocation of a, of a quality just riveting and directly turning this on to people, engaging with people, pulling them in and, and brightening them up. And when he was, by and large, you know, it was all very jocular. The general mood you had was, was um, fun. He was having fun. Uh, he was having fun. Uh, and it, I mean, the fun would be slightly teasing points that, you know, with a bit of a, uh, of a you know, making fun of people in a, in, a, in a quiet way and tremendous energy. And he'd give a talk and he'd, get, and he'd reach different people. Yana Garika, Jerry, who did the painting of him, he's a brilliant artist, but you can see that amount of detailed attention, a very, very critical mind. You know, you see that quality, it took two years working on that pastel. So very, very sharp. And at one point, he got it almost finished and didn't like it and rubbed it out and started again. Very critical, very self-critical, highly critical. And he smoked, there was roll-up cigarettes and he smoked, a chimney smoke and all to get this kind of intensity to it. So when uh, Ajahn Chant came to Britain, Ajahn Chant, he would get Jerry to roll him cigarettes. They said, have a smoke together. <laughs> so he kind of brought Jerry in from this very critical uh, person to, to feeling he was, Ajahn Chant would go and kind of emulate and move over to where he was at, you know, talk, you know smoke cigarettes together in the garden. And, and tease, tease him a bit. That's kind of this sense of different people, reach different people in different ways. Uh, you know. And so there's something giving that amount of presence. And it, so it was always pretty warm. Yeah. And uh, certainly myself, I was kind of looking at it slightly on the edge of all this, thinking, oh, I'm trying to keep my head down, as it were. I didn't want to get, <laughs> get worked over. <laughs> and he kind of look around, he, he obviously noticed, but he wouldn't. Yeah. And then one day I was in the, um, in, uh, we had to take his, his luggage to, to Oakenhall, and I was there with Babakaro in the back seat. So uh, the car, the car stopped, Ajahn Chah got out walked into the little cottage and so I had to carry his bags in. So I carried his bags into his room, started putting them down, about to turn around to run out, and then you got the present. Oh <laughs> yes. Pulled <laughs> around. Not physically, because energy come out and grab and you turn around and sit there. And he just started it's like um, my time was pretty minimal, and his English was e- equally minimal. He must have sat for at least an hour, you know, in talking. Just the sound of his voice rolling over, and the, and the facial gestures and the body language, and I'm going, you know, it's all warm, fun, encouraging. Little phrases I could pick up, you know, very, very simple, dumb, and very simple, basic stuff uh, that, that uh, 
and it wasn't profound. It was the, it was the quality. It was the information. It was the sense of presence, and it, it was reaching out and drawing you in, and obviously feeling for myself, you know, actually filling me up with a feeling of warmth and and welcome and confidence, because that's what I needed. Other people given a push, push them back. And that sense, you know, this, this, is, this is different. <laughs> this is not information. His teaching in many ways is very simple. If you look at it in the books, it's very simple. Uh, you know, it's basic. But the presence. And so, then you know, bringing things out of you. And it certainly wasn't about, you know, trying to be worshipped. It was about uh, filling you up, reaching your chitta and, and sensing what was needed and trying to, those who needed restraint, he give restraint. Those who needed to be made to just stop thinking, he'd stop it. Those needed to be brought forward, you bring them forward. Yeah. <coughs> Do that, reading that. And this is different. Yeah. Engagement. And engage with his own heart. It wasn't about belittling people. It was just if people needed that, that's what he'd do. But it wasn't. He wasn't getting personal advantage out of it. And if people would push back, he would quite enjoy that. And I remember saying to Ajahn Virudham, "Oh, you know, monks here. You just sit around drinking tea and chatting all day. You're only twenty percent monks." Virudham said, "Well, it's better than zero percent." Ajahn Chah, well, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Zajin pushed back, you know, because he wanted the people, you know, to actually get their own strength, not just to become, uh, you know, uh, yes sir, yes sir, and, and follow blindly, but to actually get their own strength, and, and uh, if that made challenging, he was fine with that. And it's extraordinary when you go to Thailand because they'd never they'd never seen this smiling Ajahn Chah, by and large. All the statues having yeah, I mean, Thailand Ajahn Chah seem like very still and stern. And in Thailand, there was a, you know they were scared <laughs> a lot of the time. The Thai monks because he could be extremely uh, uh, strong and. Uh, uh, yeah. and strict yeah. because it seems that I felt that's what they needed yeah. Yeah, to um, particularly when you've got a group of 50 or 60 men or something just village lads and they, need, they needed restraint and he would put it, he would put it on Westerners, we didn't need restraint. We were already so uptight already. We needed we need loosening, so he did that. And it was um, interesting to see he had all these different qualities. 
Yeah. And that seems to be why you have 300 branch monasteries and so many different kinds of disciples and without and they all respect and got something personal to respect that yeah. and it, 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 the, the general theme of, of the uh, teaching and the summative teaching is also very simple in many respects as, as a verbal structure but it would just be repeated and reiterated often you get the phrase or thing you come back again again, again and engage and again and the other point of it of all this stuff was your sankharas your, your mental constructions were running out in this way or that way the teacher would just stop that mental structure and put your heart somewhere else put your jitter somewhere else you know, just like you see um, you know, a person training a puppy or some puppy's running away, pick it up, put it there, run through it, do it again. And that's what these teachers did. You know, your mind would be running out this direction, you know, put it there. And after running, you run out there again, you know, put it there. <laughs> and run out again, put it there, there, and more emphatically, until eventually your mind stayed there, it didn't run out. So that, that, and somebody willing to do that. Willing to do that. And Ajahn Chah did that 10, 12 hours a day, every day, at least. He'd be up receiving guests and go on until midnight, at least. Just whoever came, he'd do that. Pick him up, listen to him, pick him up, put him there. Okay, this one there, and uh, you've got tremendous energy to do that. And Jasmido, again, you know, when we first range retreat at Okanoi, gave at least one talk a day, every day for the night, whatever it was, the ninety days, and it was pretty much same thing, slightly different qualities to it. It was like every one of them was just wherever you, you would go under some tangle or another, getting stuck in something, getting embedded something, just pick it up. And the next day, <laughs> you know, somebody got in an argument or getting irritated at me. <laughs> or just getting stuck in some view or opinion. It's always like, Letting go, Anicca, impermanent, don't hang on. And then you find another way to hang on. So you say that again, over and over again. The most theme was always that your you know, condition reactions, your conditioned mental structures are running out to create your own personal world. And the teacher would just spell. And, and and just, yeah. So, you know, and the, the sin of the warmth was because then you felt, first of all, not doing it 
out of malice, they're doing it out of goodwill. They want to help you. Uh, and so there's the benevolence one found that they're willing to spend that much energy and time to stop your habits. And we're not even criticizing you for it. Just, no, this is going to cause you suffering. Go there and, and stay there and hold it. And eventually just getting you to determine. And modeling, model, modeling sheer, sheer unreasonable commitment. Commitment and dedication that went beyond all reason. <coughs> doing these things, they're committed to doing the same structures, pujas, teaching occasions, day in, day out. Oh, no, you think this is going to go on forever. This, you know, and you thought they would do that as long as their breath was in their body. Because that's where they were at. They were just that which, that's what it does. It stops and it returns. And it's returning always back to chitta, to knowing, awareness, heart. You know, you've heard all this. Uh, but seeing it, modeling it, and, model, and seeing the modeling of the kind of committed resolve to do so. Somebody's offering that much of their time, their energy. And their love you know, for you, you've got to rise up. You've got to, you know, you've got to pull yourself together with that. And so then you start to serve. You know. And again, uh, very often, very little information. So my. Fifth Rains retreat, and said, "Oh, you can go off. You can you, you can teach a ten-day retreat. They want somebody to teach a retreat. You go and do it." Okay. Nobody told me how to do it. Or do it. And then, oh, they started. They've got a little cottage up there. We need somebody to go and work on it, or renovate it. So you can go. Okay. Uh, and of course, you know, <laughs> I have no particular, you know, training or skill, skills in building work. You know, kind of literature is my thing. So, getting this massive drill, drilling holes in the walls and in this, you know, tumble down dwelling up in Northumberland with the snow coming through the, through the open door in the winter time. Freezing cold, no heat. Do it. No information. Just do it. Find out. And the sense, the sense in which, say, you, you, you have a chitta, you have a human mind that is capable of doing it all. You know, if you get that right, everything comes from that. All the details you can work out for yourself. I mean, there'll be trial and error, but. That's what we want. We want you to restrain the conditioned habits of doubt, fear, agitation, grumpiness, 
disappointment, feeling, you know, fed up, resentment. Witness those, acknowledge them, drop them, and this way you're kind of working out all these tendencies um, just through them being activated. The doubt or the uncertainty or the why me? You know, you want to hear that voice. Hear that voice and then notice you, you can, once you see it, you can drop it, you can release it, and you must come back. The heart is made stronger by that process. So, though one can certainly feel the sense of uh, encouragement and you, know, you can do it, also, you did feel pretty irritated by the uh, Asian tomato at times. They make it sound so damned easy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah, he said, a lot of time I'm proceeding with resentment and anger. But Ajahn Chah, because he was just whining, you know, boring, tedious, same old thing, sitting on this concrete floor. And, uh, Listen to him go on about this, that, and the other, and for hours on end, three hours don't talk, not unusual, three hours of talk. You sit there, you can't understand what you thought, just sitting on this concrete floor. And he just gets so angry and resentful. And there's a child that grows a big smile. How are you doing, Samedo? You can feel this heat. <laughs> That's fine, nice. Don't take it too seriously now, will you? You <laughs> see all this stuff being sweated out. You know, all these, uh, that, was, that was the system, really. As you, you know, you're welcomed in, a sense that the person is warm and engaging, willing to take you on, and then you get pushed to get all this anger, resentment come out. And that's fine. Bring it out, you know. And, 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 and he didn't imagine Charlie didn't mind if you hated him or not, he didn't, didn't bother him. And he had 60 or 70 monks hating him, he didn't bother him. Because <laughs> he didn't, he had no ill will. He wasn't kind of no ill will. And as they say, you know, it doesn't matter if people hate you. What matters is if you hate them. That's that's the problem. It doesn't matter if people criticise you and mistreat you. That's that's no big deal. The worst thing is if you criticise and mistreat others, because then you've got the karma. Yeah. So it's okay. You know, you can do your get your stuff out, your latent tendencies, your self pity, your why me, your judgmental thing. Bring it out. Witness that. Contemplate it. It's a direct practice, and you're in a safe environment which allows that to occur. And at the same time, the teacher is just not going to get upset about it, and will help you know you to see through that and return to to this quality of knowing, timeless quality. And that was part of the sense of the return. You're always back in the same place. But the place you get back to gets bigger and stronger 
and more palpable. So that you, you, that's that's where they're living, and in in that place, place of non-attachment. You could say putting words, but. With Ajahn Chah, you know, that place was, was very strong. It was so strong, you had like a, like a magnetic effect on people. They just start to gather around and get pulled in. It was something like a magnetic quality to it. It was very dynamic and engaging. And just made it was a kind of much more softer space in some ways, but still very firm. And the firmness because of the amount of stuff tangled up mind states that the energies had been released from these tangled up, confused, personal, historical stuff, which is for most of us is generally quite energetic and they'd withdrawn the energy from that and where the energy went was back into this presence so the more they reduced their defilements they got bigger their chitta got bigger and bigger and bigger it's like it's almost like and of course from a rational point of view you can't understand this like what is this but you just you, from a direct experience you know this is why this person is so big and strong and vigorous because they're all their suffering tendencies or I don't know all of them but a considerable amount of them have been released in the energy that we normally put into suffering <laughs> isn't going there anymore it's going back into this place the here and now place and it's always the same place and it's strong enough that it begins to pull you into it and you think, why did I make such a mess out of that? Why did I get myself upset about that? You know, it's like somebody wipes the dust out of your eyes and returns, and you return to that place. And this is the place where the, the which begins to be um, the place where you, you know, you return to through developing these what I call parami strength, spiritual strength resolution of course being the predominant one because unless you, unless you commit and resolve none of them work they just collapse when the going gets rough and so you know once, once the you know, teacher has brought you in you're feeling a little bit nourished and fed and that was Jimmy Etten Shah's system. He'd really nourish and feed for a year or two and then start to put the pressure on. Yeah. And he said, now you've got to actually get some muscle. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And develop Barami. And resolve. Hold your ground. Stay with it. And that resolve, patience, resolve. Uh, and that would be modelled and encouraged both in the the person did 
and also in the situations which demanded persistent, committed patience and uh, yeah, and bearing with it until you, you felt these emotions come up, roll along, you feel helplessly swept away by these emotions, but just, just hold the ground and stay with it. These emotions would eventually lose their power and weigh just through that alone. So you know, you see something that's so direct. This is why it can cross cultures because it's not really a verbal thing. It's not a Thai thing. It's it's a human thing. And clearly, someone like Ajahn Chah could certainly, as he reached people, could find out ways that would bring them towards the place where they would be feel you know, nourished enough to begin to make these personal things to resolve, to stay with it and, and, uh, and bring forth their strength. This is the sense of the, the, you know, the parami field, the kindness. And so with Ajahn Chai, it could be tough love. You know, it could be tough love. But there was no, he wasn't getting it personal out of it. He was trying to do it for your own welfare. Uh, and they say, all the, you know, you meet all the senior monks, the Thai Ajahns, you have know, been with him. And you talk about this, and they say, well, that Lumpur Chai, you see, just, when they mention Lumpur Chai, they kind of, well, you know, you see, tone changes, you know, something he did for them, you know, or, you know tremendous respect, and they're very different characters, these Tyajans, but they all get that sense of, this is someone who took them on, and met them as they were, and nourished them, and then put, you know, cause them to develop their strength, send them off. You know, done wrong, he was saying when he was in, talking down in Devon, he'd been going too long, he'd been too long, and these people in, I think, Buriram, you know, asked Ajahn Chah to send them a monk to, they wanted to establish a Bihara, so Ajahn Chah said, well, you've done wrong, you're near, you, you, you stay there. How long for? Just stay there for a while. Okay, no poor. Stay there for a right range retreat. I've been here for a vasa. Stay, but stay a bit longer. Well, what, you know, until somebody else is ready to come. Okay, so he stayed another year or so. Poor, is there time anybody else to replace me? somebody better who could replace me. Not yet, just wait a little longer. Yeah. They waited for 35 years for some... <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> this is it. This has been waiting for 35 years for a replacement. <laughs> and after about 
five or six years, you start to just give up. <laughs> and do it. <laughs> yeah. In that sense of and somebody who who could who could uh, instill that in people, uh, where they have to um, meet and uh, open and you know, and give themselves to to the situation they're in. And this is really where we develop our parami. This we're out. As you all recognize, you know, we're aware of sights and sounds and numbers and years pass by and so on and this is coming and that's going and he's doing this and she's doing that and da 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 We're aware of all that, it's very busy, it's kind of active bubbling stuff. And this is the stuff that of course attracts our attention, this is what we feel we should deal with and work with. And most of us will, will try to do that as best we can. But of course, it gets it can get very engaging, and you get get drawn out into it. So, yeah, yeah the parami comes from recognizing the mental currents that are going on in our activities, because the activities that we do, by being activities, whether it's working, managing, organizing, whatever we're doing. Their activities, they will, they will bring out our, our activities. And most of our activities are sankharas, and these will be in containing or carrying along certain defiled tendencies or personal tendencies. So they're bound to be drawn out in what we do. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the deal. You know, either people get very responsible or try to make it all work. I mean, it's not, not, it's, the farmers are not necessarily, you know, evil, but they're imbalanced. Like we get very personally identified with our situation or trying to make it work or why isn't he doing as much as I'm doing or she never turns up for this. And again, kind of a lot of stuff builds up around our duties and activities. And from the personal point of view, we was trying to get it right, you know, so that this does work and this is put away properly and this person does show up and she does tidy up her act to one this and the other. You know, we try to do it like that. Yeah. And then of course we get into suffering uh, because of that. So that's the kind of, that's the, that, you know, that's, you know, there's your meditation, or there's your bhavana, there's your palami. Uh, uh, area this bit that you're doing right on one level you're doing it as a worldly activity but another level you're doing it to, to witness your tendencies yeah witness your fault-finding mind your I don't want to do this in the first place half-hearted mind or comparing yourself with others or whatever and ah, this is the stuff I want to pull out of. Yeah. Now, rather than just say, well, I'll, I'll drop the activity, then I won't have to have all these nasty thoughts in my mind. 
I won't have to have this thing going, I'll just stop the activity. No, that's not the way you do it. You stay with the activity with all these defiled tendencies coming up. Right? So now you just then you just keep aware of that and committing to that. And it's, and seeing where you can begin to, the jitta can begin to withdraw those latent cravings, latent ill will, latent self-forming tendencies where we become identified with our duties, identified with our work, identified with what we think other people think of us, forming identities out of other people, she's one of those, he's one of those, you know. It's what identifying experience, I think. Meanwhile, in witnessing that and you know, holding the mind firm, you know, holding the mind firm, presence, awareness, firm, firm, again, 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 again again and you hold it against the flow of those doesn't mean they don't flow but it's just you're able to hold a sense of witnessing and presence and groundedness witnessing the mind going in its stuff and not identifying with that this is just sankaras occurring and then no longer even getting upset about it dispassionate towards it when you get dispassionate towards it the energy begins to fade and it dies out you actually don't mind whether it's right or wrong it's not important it doesn't matter whether you're good at it or not good at it it doesn't matter what other people think of it is their issue you know, you don't have to suffer in this way. And so the energy of the defilement withdraws and returns back into presence and awareness. And the beauty of it is, it's, it's very flexible. Unlike a, you know, like a meditation, system where you have to have a pretty steady place, this is dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really using life itself in a, in a way where you hold the activities of life within a particular template. This is here for me to develop some parami. This is here, not for me to get it right, not for people to like it, not for it to be wonderful, but just for me to develop some parami, some commitment, some resolution, and some truthfulness, some witnessing. And so this, this quality stands steady while the, while the klesa mind, the sankara mind, runs out and you just let it go and don't follow it. You hear the voices, the moods, and you've got this sense of presence that holds firm against that. That's how parami gets developed. It doesn't get developed when the times are easy. It gets developed at that, those places where you're being tested and squeezed. 
Sometimes it's just boredom. Monastic life can sometimes be extremely, you get a lot of boredom. Same old puja, I mean, same, exactly the same song every day for, I don't know, years, same thing. And you get, first of all, trying to get it right, then you get interested in the Pali, and then you get interested in getting the tone right, the voice right, and then start to complain about other people not getting it right, um, <laughs> criticizing, and you go through all this stuff, and then the tedium of it, and eventually it's gone. There's no tedium, there's no irritation, it's just empty. It's just, this is what happens. We sit, it's the same place we were yesterday. We sit, we breathe, sound comes out, energy moves, passes. It's empty. And that's the essence of it, this repetition until what remains is this difficult to express quality of jitta. It's firm, but it's open. It's clear, it's very solid, it's warm, but it's not passionate. Uh, and it, it resists the world. And the celebration of a teacher, someone who can do that, and who you, what you, how you relate, you know, how you... <laughs> form the teacher by your relationship, commitment to that, with all its off days. You know, certainly with Ajahn Samadhi, I'm not proud of the fact, he annoyed me, you know, because uh, yeah, he often you know, do something, but you've got no information how to do it. <laughs> well, you can figure that out. So as a manager, you know, it's a nightmare as a manager, and yet, you know, it doesn't matter, because we're not here to do that. It's here to bring forth strengths from myself, and also to lessen my critical anxieties. So then, that's what it's about. Okay. And, you know, then you use that teacher to develop your parami. And it certainly, these people, you know, I mean, I knew Ajahn Sumedho quite closely, Ajahn Char less closely, but, you know, they weren't hanging around either. You know, you'd see the amount of energy and commitment and sheer diligence put into practice, total commitment. And uh, with Ajahn Sumedho, you know, when he was, obviously his energy is less now, but he's engaging with people and uh, willing to engage with people, a vast range of people. And so that same sense of the open door is there. You can walk in and there'd be some crazy people who just let walk in and you say, and you think, what did you do that for? I mean, they're hopeless. You say, well, I'd like to experience being with a monk. So, some seeds are there. So maybe in a future life, that will bear fruit. God. 
<laughs> that's generous, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that they can use my presence so that at least sometime they've had the presence of somebody who listened to them in an open way. Who knows when that will bear fruit? I'm not asking for anything back. It may be this life, another life. <laughs> so you, you listen to that person for two hours of your day just so that they could have that. Yeah, that's what you do. Being in the centre of a monastery, Amawadi particularly, very crazy, um, chaotic, and every day there. Morning puja, there. Morning breakfast, there. Mealtime, there. And when it was there, just, we're there. We're there. Yeah. Gets to the day, but this is, this is the main thing. We're here. We're here. Together. We're here. We're here. And this is where we gain our strength. So it's a very, very simple teaching. Uh, and, and people, but then it's really direct holding of the heart and placing it till the heart recognizes beneath this person, you know, there's this potential for strength. And it, it, and it it's there for all of us. And then, so the teacher gives you back to yourself. You've lost yourself. You've thrown yourself away. And the teacher's the presence that helps you to return to your potential. This is why, um, you know, one celebrates. Uh, one celebrates, one feels touched. Uh, and, and that such beings have passed, you know, you've had whatever it was, the good fortune to be affected, touched, seen, connected to these, um, these powerful presences. Mm. So when we come back to our, where we are now, you know, wherever you are now, uh, is where you think you are, what your eyes see, what your thoughts do, and there's something else. There's something timeless. This is the reminder. Timeless presence. It has no words in it. It's steady. It's present. It's available. It's open. Your thinking mind runs away from it. Your emotions stream out from it. What's your purpose here? Where is your ground? Here. Where is your here-ness here in all this? Consider. Practice. <laughs>